Homeschooling isn't just about education. It's about your kids, it's about your family, and it's about a lifestyle. Hi, my name is Jackie and I'm the founder of Homeschool Think Tank. The Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast is about community, family, education, and life. I believe that these are the things that matter to homeschool families. Tune in each week and let's talk. I'll bring you a message from my heart, an expert interview, or an interview with the ultimate homeschooling experts, homeschool families like yours. Remember to check the link in the show notes below and you'll find an article that corresponds with this episode. Finally, remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com for more information about how we serve homeschooling families. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Today, I am pleased to be sharing uh, the book Eco Happiness, and Sandy Schwartz is the author of this, and she will be sharing a lot of information that she has around mental health and how that can be improved by spending time in nature. So hello, Sandy. Hi, it's so great to be here. It's so nice to meet you. So tell me a little bit about yourself, how you sort of got into wanting to write a book about spending time in nature and the benefits that this has on our children and us as adults. Yeah, so it really, two paths kind of came together for me in my life. So the first path was my interest in environmentalism and wanting to save the planet. And that really began when I was in high school. In 10th grade, I cleaned up a dirty, uh, polluted river in my area in New Jersey. And I was very involved in the Nature Defense Club. That was the environmental club. And that just really spurred my passion to want to, you know, save the planet and get involved in environmental studies and science. So I then wrote my college essay actually on that experience and then went on to college to study environmental studies and political science. And then I went and got a master's degree in government with an environmental policy spin. And so, you know, all that, that trajectory is going on in one path. And then on the other (laughs) end of my life, you know, I'm, I'm just always kind of struggling with stress and anxiety. And I can, you know, look back at my childhood and having these physical symptoms, whether it was being the sweaty palms in math class or this upset stomach before a party or or a new school year. And it just kind of, you know, went on and on and on. And until I really, I, I struggled with infertility and also some issues during the pregnancy. I had preterm labor, I was hospitalized. I mean, all the things that could go wrong and cause more anxiety, plus all the hormones that <laughs> were on top of all that. Um, so after I had my first son, I actually, looking back now, realize I was struggling with postpartum anxiety, which is not something you hear a lot about. Very revved up. Um, so I started looking for natural solutions to, to get back to a balanced state. And, you know, this was, this was a long period of time where I was doing my own research and I was, you know, digging in, um, you know, tr- ex- you know, experimenting with different like therapies, you know, like I've, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, I didn't really want to just take medicine. I wanted to try to, uh, you know, address these issues in a natural way. And so I, 
then got into the world of positive psychology. And what's really neat about positive psychology is instead of always focusing on your issues and your problems, you put a positive spin on how can I feel better? How can I find balance in my life? Things like volunteerism, right? Spreading kindness, having a healthy diet, exercise routine, um, gratitude practice, right? And then nature is another piece of that puzzle because when we're in nature, we have all kinds of incredible research that shows that we feel happier and calmer and it spurs that feeling of awe, right? When you're in awe, you cannot be anxious and in awe at the same time. So anyway, it all kind of came together where I kind of came full circle to my love and interest in the environment. And now I was able to explore it and pull together all that research for my book from that mental health perspective, which really isn't, no one else was doing. So, so that's how there are these two kind of intersecting paths that came together. And that, that's how finding eco happiness was born. I love that. And you've said about five things. I think we could have five different episodes based on those five things right there, because I, I don't know how much you know about me, Sandy, but I'm like working on becoming a certified life coach. So the positive psychology right there, focusing on what you want and what you're doing, that is really interesting to me. Um, but just stay in our lane for the moment. And if we have time at the end, maybe we, I can come back to some of the other things. So as far as getting outside, this is why when you approached me to be a guest on the podcast, I was like, yeah, because I am a pretty big advocate of getting kids outside. And I've seen the difference in my own life. We, we hike a lot and kayak and do different things like that. And I do specifically, my kids aren't into kayaking. But um, they do, especially my youngest, loves hiking. And it is a huge benefit. Like even when my children were really young, like I'm talking three, four or five, if they were in a mood, what did we do? We got outside. I don't care. And they were pretty fortunate as far as our backyard was sort of like just nature. <laughs> Anyway, it was a, a good backyard, but then we also live in an area where outdoor adventure is a year round thing and awaiting everybody. So yeah, we got outside and that could turn a sour mood upside down, right? Right. And it's fascinating because we've all known this for many generations, you know, hundreds of years, but now in the last, let's say two decades, there's hundreds of studies. Like the researchers are now finally proving it scientifically that it works. And so that's why it was really interesting for me to jump into this because it was benefiting me. I wanted to, but I wanted to also pass it along to other parents and other caretakers and kind of like the handbook I wish that my parents had when they were raising me because mm -hmm. I needed that more, you know, uh, when I was having these, you know, the stress, the anxiety, and you just kind of, I, you know, it was ignored for many, many years. And I had to figure it all out really in my thirties. <laughs> you know, so, oh. Yeah. And I had to okay, figure it out so myself. Yeah. Can I ask you, did you, where did you grow up? And was it a sort of an area where getting to nature was easy or a little more difficult? Yeah, so I grew up in a very typical suburb outside of Philadelphia in 
in New Jersey. And, you know, as kids, and I grew up in the, when we were playing outside a lot in the 80s. And, but during that time was also when that sort of those scares started happening, when um, kidnapping was like becoming a bigger issue. And so the parents kind of started to pull back a bit. Now, I remember being a young mm. child and we used to play um, on our front yard with neighbors. We would play wiffle ball for hours. We also had some woods in the back that we would go exploring. I remember riding my bike. I even said to my mom now, I said, you let me ride my bike across the highway. I mean, when I was more in middle and high school, I would go to the library, we'd go visit friends. So it was, you know, we had a lot more freedom. And now, depending on where you live, obviously, but, you know, I my kids are now in suburbs as well. And it's such a enclosed area. And it's very rare that my kids get to really run freely. But, you know, what my big um, kind of pitch with, with my book is that, yeah, there are people who do live in more rural communities and they, they're just always kind of running free and they have access to that. But I also want the suburban families, the urban families to understand that there are some really simple things, activities you can do where if you're not even hiking and kayaking, you can still connect to nature, even inside your home, believe it or not, or inside a classroom or your home classroom, and you can connect to nature, the window you know, we're both near a window right now. We have the sun <laughs> coming in on the same side here. And just looking, taking the moment to look out the window and taking those breaks is, is beneficial. And that's what the science is showing. So you don't have to be immersed in camping and hiking to benefit from it. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit. And I, during COVID, I really thought about this a lot because well, we had a big yard when we lived in town when my kids were young. Right now we live like out in the country and we have a couple of acres. So I literally would go out and walk in our, our own property and I'd be able to get out like that. And I thought so much about people who were like in town without a bigger space. And I, you know, I can't say I was like super paranoid around COVID, but you know, I, I still, especially in the beginning, wanted to keep my distance. You just didn't know, you know, at this point, my whole family's had it once or twice. We're all fine. I'm not even worried about it anymore. But, um, but I did really think about that, like how, how hard that would be when you were feeling like you couldn't even walk out your front door, like you have so many neighbors or, you know, there's the park, but our parks here, we're all taped off, you know, for families who really plan on using public spaces as part of their everyday living, that has to be hard. So, you know, hopefully we don't go back to that again, (laughs) but it it, it does lend itself to thinking like that. And, you know, if you're just, it's a little harder to get to nature, what do you recommend? Yeah, on one hand, it was nice because we were walking around our neighborhood a lot. Now, I remember, though, in the beginning when it was high scare, you know, when the neighbor would walk, be coming towards me on the same side of the (laughs) sidewalk, and I would, like, move away like it's going to come in the air, you know. Um, But people were out walking more, and so, and there was an uptick in people spending time outside, even though the parks were closed for a little while. 
people were going outside as much as they could because they were, you know, inside, you know, as you know, stuck, they didn't know what to do with themselves. All right, but but it really also teaches us how to utilize your minimum minimal space. Okay, so something as simple of as a plant, bringing a plant into your home, or how about utilizing if you have a balcony, if you live in a high rise building, maybe you have a balcony, or maybe the building has a rooftop. Those are two gems that you can utilize, whether you're growing your own plants in the balcony, whether you're going outside just you know, to do some work, read a book, um, have a meal. Uh, of course, if you have a backyard, I mean, <laughs> I, I use my backyard so much during COVID. I was even walking around, we have a pool, we're in Florida, but I was walking around my backyard for my exercise at times. And I was on, we have a balcony too. I was using my balcony for, for weeks to do exercise, you know, while I watched video exercise videos online. And so you kind of adapt to those situations. But the good news is you can even see nature on a screen. You can even look at a beautiful photograph of nature on a wall in your home. You can smell the flowers. You can use essential oils. There, there are really tons of options if that you can, you know, utilize decor in your home, certain colors, all of the there's a multi-sensory aspect to nature and that, that once, you know, the scientists have pulled those apart. And now we know those are the pieces that make us feel better, whether it's the blue and green colors or the smell of an orange. Okay. Like you can have a whole mindful food, you know, eating experience with an orange or a grape by, you know, smelling it, enjoying the juiciness, the color. Maybe you want to draw it. All of a sudden you realize, you know, you can, with your kids, like, oh, it's not just flat, right? Like, you know, there's so much you can do. Um, I have a whole chapter on art because art in itself is a positive psychology element, right? There's, it helps us, mm-hmm. you know, takes us to another place. It makes us feel better. But looking at a building, a picture of a building does not have the same effect as looking at a beautiful flower or a tree. Well, I can, I can tell you, even if I'm outside and this experience comes to mind for me last summer, I was in Austin, Texas, and I was in the downtown area, like the convention center area. Right. I could not wait to get home and be outside in open nature, because while I was actually outside a lot walking, it did not have that same positive vibe for me as like, when I can see for miles, when I'm hiking, you know, I can see a long way away. And I, I really, I felt claustrophobic. Mm. I, and I've never gone to a city and felt that way, but I think everything was just high rise and you, you couldn't see. That's interesting. <laughs> Cause I just saw in the news that they're building like a really, really high building a really tall building in Austin. I don't know if it's going to be the tallest building now or something, but I just saw an article. So they must be really into their, their high buildings and architecture there. But I also Sandy, as you're talking about this, because I have to admit, like my mind is like going, okay, screens, that's not the same as outside. However, when you think about it, like when I open up my computer, Microsoft, what do they put on the screen? It's almost always nature images. Hardly ever are there buildings, but if there are buildings, there's a lot of greenery within that screen, right? 
Right. So I can sort of go there a little bit. And it, when you don't have another option right. or you don't feel like it's easily accessible to you in maybe your day-to-day life, it is better than nothing. And that is why we bring flowers in our home. And I love the produce section at the grocery store. I don't like the box areas, but put me in the produce section and I'm a happy girl. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so back to the buildings, it was interesting. There have been studies done where they actually take the cortisol level. So the stress hormone, and they would have people like in the city, walking around the buildings, looking at the buildings and then, you know, take their cortisol level and and also interview them. And then also, you know, compare that to being at a park, being, you know, more immersed in nature. And there's such a difference. So that stress you were feeling that uneasiness, like that's, pretty common. And then of Hmm. course, all the noise, you know, we're dealing with a lot of just overstimulation, noise and light pollution when we're in, you know, urban environments and even on our screens. And, and let me just back up. Like, I'm not saying that get your nature fix with your screen. I'm saying that, you know, it is better than nothing. And it in, in, you know, there's sort of like these levels, right? Like you can kind of start, especially with kids, Maybe start with a nature video and then pique their interest and say, hey, let's go to a science museum and go see this animal in person. And now let's, you know, next get outside, go to the, you know, a wildlife center, you know, kind of those steps where you can then challenge your family, challenge yourself to do more and more uh, nature exposure. Well, and even like when we lived in town, yeah, we had a good backyard, but we got out in quote unquote nature on a regular basis because there was, um, and still is, a trail there that, yes, you're in town, but it's actually, I think, part of the national parks, not not national parks, it's some system, but it is it's like you don't really know you're in town there's once or twice on the trail when you may see a building but we see deer out there all the time and skunks and you know (laughs) like there's the paved walking areas but then there's woodland areas where you can you know bike or walk and so we did that like when we lived in town we probably went into that trail three times a week and we just walk with our kids and let our kids run and there are also areas there again right in town where like there's some really old cottonwood tree falling over and the kids could spend 20 minutes I want to say bouldering but that's not what it would be called on a tree but climbing on this fallen tree you know that has a right foot diameter of a trunk you know <laughs> so yeah it we we made a point to get outside so yeah, that, so tell me more about, I, I want to know more about the relationship between anxiety and mental health and nature and yeah, just the science behind all of that. Yes. Yeah, so there are different reasons why and different theories. The first thing is something called biophilia. And there, you may hear it now talked more about in um, interior design and actually architecture, biophilic um, design. And it's really, you know, when you do see an office space or something with trees inside, it's more lush. 
um, or what you're just talking about, just kind of, again, like incorporating the natural environment even into the built environment. But biophilia is essentially our instinct as humans, we, as, but we're animals. And at the end of the day, you know, we are just attracted to nature. That is how we came about. And the, the environment that we're in living in now with all the screens and the, you know, being inside and all the, the lights and the sounds, that's not what, you know, we're, we're naturally. And when you look at the timeline of humanity, you know, what, the, what we're living in now is such a little blip of history compared to what we were doing, you know, cavemen all those years ago. And so we still crave the nature connection. And a lot of that, as I like to explain, is that multi-sensory experience. We, you know, we feel good when we smell something soothing, right? Um, fresh, beautiful flowers, stop and smell the roses or fruit. We, when we see something appealing, you know, our eyes, our vision senses, you know, goes to that. There's a whole thing called fractal patterns and nature has tons of these patterns, whether it's the swirl of a shell or the, you know, the veins of a leaf or um, the tree bark. And they've studied like brain waves. And when we're looking at these patterns, we are calmer and we're mm. just attracted to them. Uh, the sounds again, like, you know, a uh, bird song uh, they've studied over and over comparing, let's say like a human voice meditation app to bird song and bird song wins out every time. It's just, <laughs> and it's not just again, like anecdotal response, you know, they'll, they'll interview people who are being studied, but they will also take their, their cortisol levels and they'll see that they, you know, or their heart rate. Um, and you know, they'll, there's studies about, uh, people healing more quickly if they're in a hospital room with uh, with plants in there or views of trees or, you know, a lot of times now they're building gardens in the hospitals or in courtyards and they have the patients go and walk around there. So, you know, it's all really having that access. And then the key is being mindful, right? We can go on a walk in our neighborhood. We can take our kids. But if we're just worried about the chores and the errands and cooking dinner and our work and all these you know, issues that are stressing us out and we're not paying attention to the beautiful birds chirping and the beautiful, colorful, you know, leaves and flowers are passing by, we will miss that experience. And so mindfulness plays a very big role in this. Yeah. You know, that, that park that I was telling you about that we would walk out at, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I always wondered this, and now I didn't have earbuds in because my, especially when we lived in town, my kids were much younger and I'm interacting with them. Right. But when people were out there on their own running or jogging and they've got their earbuds in, I honestly, I'm like, why this is so <laughs> like, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I have a frog in my throat here. Um, but I just felt like you've got to be missing out because mm -hmm. even if I go to that park on my own, I, and Sandy, I love podcasts. I am a podcast <laughs> donkey, but I don't listen. If I go hiking, even out where I live, I'm literally, I won't see another person on the trail. 
Um, and I, I don't wear them well. And for a couple, like, I like being aware of my surroundings and we have sort of like mountain lions and things where we live. <laughs> like right now I'm not hiking that trail because there is a mountain lion in our area. Um, but I'm like, mm, I feel a little vulnerable out there. Like people don't worry me, but mountain lions do. <laughs> so anyway, but, but yeah, I just think you're missing half the experience. Honestly, like even if I'm just working in the yard, sometimes I will wear my earbuds, but I tend to not because I'm like, mm. I don't know. I like the birds that just being and being in your own head, I think is good for you too. <laughs> well, so. yes. And it also being in nature, and this is important for kids, you know, you know well, for people, you know, all of us who work, but also kids and, and as they're learning, is connecting to nature builds curiosity, it builds creativity, and it helps you, you know, have this kind of free thinking moment where you're you're unwinding. And when you do that, when you like you're saying, and I do the same thing. Sometimes I have a podcast on, but a lot of days it's just my time. I also don't typically work out with others. I know some people like have to have a running partner, or they have to be in big gym classes. I have always, even since you know college is preferred walking, biking on my own, because I prefer that as my mindful time. And then it also helps me as a writer, you know, it stimulates creativity. I might come up with my best ideas on those morning walks, but yeah, you can hear the rustling of the leaves. You can listen for the, the um, blowing wind and the, and the birds. And if you are focusing on something else you're still you know you're breathing in the fresh air and you have the sunlight and it's all still good and you're surrounded by nature but if you can really focus and be mindful you're gonna get a lot more bang for the buck right you're gonna get more benefit yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sandy i'm gonna ask you something that you aren't expecting at all <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and i'm gonna tell you why first my goal in this podcast is to always like uh, leave parents with some ideas they could like implement today or they could implement in the future. But even if they never went to my website, your website, didn't read either one of our books or whatever, I am like, how can we help people if this is the only thing they ever get from us? So something I've been starting to do in some of my podcasts is um, just introduce parents to some ideas of things they could use to lead a homeschooling activity. And I want to preface that by saying it doesn't have to be a huge group. It could be a homeschooling activity for just you and your kids. It could be for you and your children and a couple of their friends, or it could be for a homeschooling group of like 15, 20 kids and some other moms, right? Mm -hmm. So I know you have various activities in your book. Do, would you want to share one, two or three of those I, ideas and maybe give a parent an idea of how could I integrate these ideas into my child's education, whether it be a daily thing or something you do just one, you know, once a week or once a month mm -hmm. with some other kids? Well, the first question I would ask everybody is, are you taking your lessons outside? You know, how much time you have the ability, you have the control over your day. 
So are you doing math class, you know, the math lessons outside? Are you incorporating art? So, so it's very, you know, so that's one really simple thing is literally just go outside, you know, have the table out in your backyard or on a balcony, or if you don't have access to that, find a local park, get picnic blanket and do the lessons outside. Right. Yes. Very simple. (laughs) Can I feed off of that? Sure. (laughs) Because you just said a couple of things there. Get, take the lessons outside. Now, some lessons, you can literally just do them outside, but you could also make the outdoors the point of being outside. So with something like art, you could, especially in the summer, just do it outside. And But you could also make, let's go outside and we're going to do, I don't know, a mosaic or painting or drawing or what, whatever. I mean, you could even do it with clay. Like, let's see if we can make our clay look like this tree, you know, (laughs) um, but you, you could literally do that. And here's just one idea for parents. I know when my daughter was young uh, and we lived far enough from this, we didn't partake in it, but there was an art teacher that did, um, I think she called it like Miss Bonnie's backyard art or something. And she, she didn't homeschool. I don't even know if she had kids, honestly, maybe she did, but she just did little art classes in her backyard once or twice a week, all summer long for homeschooled kids. Anybody could do that, right? You can just do this and it's so low key. It, it didn't make a mess of our house. It made it simple, but then the Play-Doh outside. (laughs) Yeah. That was always our role. Yeah. But then like, I think of, um, and Sandy, I want to, I would love to introduce you to this person. Her name is Jackie Grunberg and she is the founder of Backpack Sciences. She's been on my back on my podcast before, but so her whole point is taking science outdoors and like she always, and yes, she has lessons that you can do inside too, but she, she always pictured like kids with their backpacks. Let's go outside and do the science stuff. Right. So part of that is doing science outside, like the outdoors is part of the focus, journaling outside, you know, your science journals, things like that. So I want to let you pick back up here, but I just wanted to sort of bounce these ideas off of each other. Yeah. Well, you know, local libraries have some amazing resources. Now they actually have science backpacks. A lot of them I had, I wrote a whole blog post about how to connect to nature at your local library because they're offering so much more than just books now. So that's a great option for, you know, homeschooling families to go, you know, rent these backpacks and then they have the activities ready to go. Like they have the book and they have the materials. Maybe you have to add a few of your own materials, but, and they're, you know, then there's different topics. And so definitely, you know, utilize your local libraries for those ideas. Another really simple thing we did, and, and this is really cool. So during the pandemic, when it started, I, created a challenge and I was like, how am I going to get through this? And so I said, I'm going to start. And I think it started with like, you know, one week and then 30 days. And it ended up being a hundred straight days of doing some sort of nature connection activity. And I ended up posting it, you know, on, on social media and I boiled it down. There's actually a free calendar on my homepage. Now the eco happiness calendar, and it has 30 of these activities. So highlights from my 100 day experience. 
But one of the things my daughter and I did is we went in the backyard and we looked for like leaves and sticks and rocks and whatever was sort of fallen down, you know, on the grass, grass. And we created our own like bugs, like critters from that the natural elements. Okay, so we were creating animals, you could do cats, dogs, whatever, but from nature, from leaves and sticks. And then we took pictures of them. And, you know, you could really get very creative with, you know, making a cartoon out of them or, you know, a painting, paint the background and, and put them on a piece of paper. You, you Kids could really have a lot of fun. You could make cards and give them to other people, but really just basically going on a little mini nature walk and then making these creations from them. And so that's a really easy activity. <laughs> I love I love that. And honestly, you could do that with a homeschooling group. Like you could integrate physical education, say hiking or going on a walk, what, whatever you want to say hiking looks like for you, <laughs> moving your legs, right? But in the meantime, you're picking things up. And you know, <laughs> my my youngest daughter is super into reptiles, has been her whole life. But we part of when we go hiking, if she's gonna be getting we have six reptiles. <laughs> and I, I don't even like oh no I will die if the big snake ever gets out oh my god I would lose it <laughs> um but she'll like go out on our hikes and collect these really interesting pieces of wood and oh, wow. then she like treats the wood and all the things and puts it in her uh, her reptiles enclosures and it seems like she's wow. always changing one reptiles enclosure or another but honestly, her room, I love her bedroom, even though I, if we have three lizards, three snakes, and I don't, I'm not, not a snake fan. Okay. Me <laughs> so either. It, it's hard for me. <laughs> it was hard for me as a mom to get over it, but it's what, like, I always think she's huh. the next Jane Goodall for reptiles. Oh, wow, she, she's so a neat. walking encyclopedia, but what I was going to say is her room is so soothing because she has all these reptile enclosures full of plants. She has wow. shelves with plants on them and she's very minimalistic. So I love her bedroom. I can hardly be in there because of my allergies though, because <laughs> dirt makes me sneeze. So we have all this <laughs> substrate, right? In our enclosures, but I, um, her room is amazing because of all of the plants and wow, that's amazing. And, I, and you were talking about the, I can't remember what the word was, some sort of, it alluded to patterns in nature. And I thought oh. of her snakes. I was like, they all have these patterns, yes. you know, and they soothe her where they sort of freak me out for her. They're <laughs> really soothing. <laughs> it's funny because actually in the animal chapter of my book, I talk about because I have a real fear of snakes and alligators, but I. Well, you live in Florida. I think yeah. you're probably warranted. <laughs> well, I wasn't born here and I wasn't raised here, so <laughs> I'm still afraid of them. I probably always will. But I, it's really cool because this, I, I have this anecdote, this story about a young girl who, and her mom like wrote it up and and I put it in there. But it has to do with her loving these scary animals, and so you know, even the people, it's all sort of, you know, relevant, like it's a relative, it depends on your own personal taste, and what attracts you. And so some people love the scary animals, some people like cats, some people like dogs, but it was really finding what works for you. And I think that's what's great about nature, because there's so many options. 
And, you know, I myself am not a huge outdoorsy person. I never was. I wasn't raised that way. I have never, I love to tell people, you know, I'm a suburban environmentalist. I've never even been camping, but <gasps> never. Oh. Right. Uh-huh. But, I'm like, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> but, you know, I drive uh, electric vehicles. I've always, you know, I, I have other aspects and I appreciate, you know, my time in nature. But right, everyone kind of has their level of what it, how it works for you. And I think that's important because a lot of people are concerned, well, how am I going to connect to nature? I don't like to do those things, but there's so many simple, wonderful ways, whether it's sports, whether it's flower arranging or gardening, whether it's art. And so it's really accessible to all of us and we should take advantage of it because it makes us feel better. Sandy, I just can't get over. I've never been camping. <laughs> no. I, okay, so I just met Sandy. Like we've only communicated via email, and like you know, me sort of scoping her out in other ways. But uh, before you know, before I have someone on my podcast, I want to make sure it's a good fit, right? <laughs> but um, but you know, it, life is busy, so I don't always meet my guests before an episode. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But I'm like, I just got to know you, but you must come visit me and we need to go camping. We got to, we've got to write that wrong, Sandy. <laughs> well, sounds like where you live is absolutely gorgeous. Oh gosh, I could literally go 10 minutes down the road and go camping. Wow. Or I could go 30 minutes to be like, we live in the camp. I would call it like the camping capital of the world. It's just oh, wow. so beautiful Isn't that funny? where I live. <laughs> but I'm like, oh <laughs> but you know what? That summer when I was in Austin, I met somebody that had never been hiking. I was like, oh, you've never been hiking. Well, the thing She's about like, hiking, I can't even imagine what it's like. Well, the <laughs> thing about hiking is it honestly is a very intimidating term. It's really walking, right? You know, like yes, it's a, walking a at an elevation. <laughs> well, but even in Florida, we go on, you know, there are these beautiful nature centers. There's one I love that has a boardwalk and it goes all around like a kind of a swampy area. And sometimes you see alligators, but you know, they don't come close to you, but beautiful birds and ducks and, and all that and turtles, but you're flat the whole time. So it may be considered hiking, but it, to me, it's a walk. It's a nature walk. Yeah. That's so a what's walk. really the difference, you know, <laughs> hiking oh, up a mountain is one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. where I live, um, like I don't do this, but like, um, doing 10,000 foot hikes, like mountain climbs like it's a thing like people are scoping out they come out here to climb over ten thousand feet yeah we're at like a 5500 foot (laughs) elevation but um already so put that in perspective it's really only maybe 4500 5000 feet but Mm -hmm. that's it's not only some of it some of it's hard like I'll share just a quick little story. So with my husband and I have been kayaking since 1999. Like literally he bought them for us for our first Christmas. And at some point we went, oh, you know, we have all this small stuff for kayaking. We should take up backpacking. Now, shortly after we took it up, I ended up having excruciating back issues that forced me out of both hiking and kayaking for years. And now I can do them both again. But our very first hike, we learned like real, not hike, but backpacking trip. We learned so much. Number one is at least at that time, you should not use Google maps for your hiking trails. You should use a true topographical map. Mm. But um, 
But when we looked up, we thought, oh, we'll do this trail. It's called Bear Creek Trail. Now, I think it's part of the Colorado trail system, which like goes, <laughs> you know, it's like all the way across Colorado. And, um, but there were different parts of Bear Creek Trail and we didn't understand this. So we went on this trail with our daughter who had just turned five years old. And <laughs> we left our baby with grandma. You know, our youngest was like two or two and a half, two, two-ish. Anyway, so she was, we did not take her with us for this uh, two-night trip. And what I, we found out afterward, we, we get on the trail and I'm like, I thought this was an easy to moderate hike. We were literally scrambling with our 40 pound backpacks on us and our five-year-old, <laughs> this one little part of the trail. Most of it wasn't scrambling. Most was walking. But there's this point where you're like, okay, if I don't see water soon, we are going back because <laughs> we, we brought like the water tabs to treat our water rather than packing all the water we would oh, need. Right. <laughs> so, wait, I, I'm really taking this over. I'm sorry, but this is so like it works and it's interesting. So we do this trail and I'm really not kidding. Like I think we climbed 800 to a thousand feet in an hour, oh, hour and a half. Impressive. It was, it was a pretty good climb. And then when we're at the top, like you literally can look down and it's like a thousand foot drop off. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so we go out there, we camp for a couple of days and we do two nights. Night number one was amazing. Just like we literally saw one person the whole week. No, actually, I think two. We saw a fly fisherman and somebody with a mountain bike, which no way in hell would I ever ride a bike on that trail. I'm That's like, I would have died, literally. <laughs> but um, second night, we woke up and I said to my husband, I said, what is that noise? And he said, it's wolves. Oh my goodness. And I said, no. I said, are you sure it's not coyotes? And he grew up out in the country. He says, honey, that's not coyotes those are wolves. I have <laughs> never been so scared in my entire life. They were so close. Oh I my mean, goodness. A few miles up. And so we have our five-year-old and our dog and our poor dog. Ne she's gone now. Never before or since that night has she growled like that. <laughs> and I, I was terrified. And the next morning we could not get out of there fast enough. I mean, like, <laughs> Oh wow. my gosh. See, camping so is scared. a little tiffly. <laughs> I, 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 I do like camping. challenge. I like camping near a car where oh, if okay. I hear wolves, <laughs> right, I can get in the car. There you go. <laughs> or, That's the trick. You know, we, we've heard a bear before while we were camping. And it's funny because sometimes you don't know what the sounds are when you hear it. Mm. And then you go home and Google it and you're like, oh yeah. And at the time, people told us, no, those weren't wolves out there. Those were coyotes. And I'm here to tell you they were wolves. And now, I, you know, let's push forward a decade later. It is well known there are wolves in that area. But back then, wow. even just those many years ago, it, people didn't think we had wolves out there. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, then uh, the next day, I'm going to just show this more. So the next day we hike out more. And, uh, you know, we get out of there and like, literally, we've got our little girl between us. We are like, book of it and there's oh a goodness. storm on our heels I'm like I do not want to be on this high spot if it starts raining and we're getting out of there he left and we went to this little restaurant 
oh my gosh, we raved about their burgers for the longest time. <laughs> well, a, a year or two later, we go back and we're like, oh, right. sort of stuck. They were terrible hamburgers. <laughs> but when you're that hungry after hiking like that, you're like, those are the uh-huh. best hamburgers I've ever had. Oh, that's so funny. See, you have yes. a great memory. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a great, great memory, but you can come and do some real camping. I won't take you to where the wolves are. Okay. At least I hope not. <laughs> we can stay near a car. <laughs> oh, my so, oh my gosh, I totally digress. <laughs> Just like <laughs> rabbit holes. I'm, I'm the best at rabbit holes. I do try not to, but okay. So Sandy, I totally took that over and I apologize, but it is entertaining. <laughs> Yes, I wouldn't use that as your uh, homeschooling lesson, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? We know what wolf calls sound like. I know what to do when there are mm. wolves in the air. Um, you know, I learned a lot from that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, where can people find you? And I know you have the book, Finding Eco Happiness. I'm going to tell parents uh, a lot of why I share these things is to give you ideas as you homeschool your kids yeah there's your book thank you for holding it up (laughs) and then you have a children's book that you wrote too right one what's it yes um sky's search for eco happiness is all about it's a little girl who's feeling a little blue and her mom encourages her to go outside she's a little lucky she's a lucky little girl because she lives by the beach so she goes and finds her friends there's like five different friends and she sees that they're doing these outdoor activities and then they make her feel better so there's yoga outdoors there's painting a sunset playing with a dog and so i really thought it was important i collaborated with a teacher on that project because i wanted to bring to life what was in the parenting book for a child especially you know young children really struggle with emotions and this is a way to get them to think about it start talking about it and also offer a very simple solution which is you know go outside and play and enjoy yourself so and and in the um and finding eco happiness, there are checklists at the end of every chapter, and they have t- filled with tons of ideas for activities. And you can go to my website, that's ecohappinessproject.com. And there's blog posts with lots of different activities, you know, diving more deeply into each specific activity, you know, everything from making a nature mandala to going on a nature poetry walk. So we can add, you know, to the list that we were talking about earlier. And I have a free quiz on there and then the free calendar right on the homepage. So head over there and check it out. That's awesome. And also, Sandy, and for listeners, video watchers, I, with all of my interviews, homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews, and I will have a little blurb about Sandy, her book, and a link to her website there. So because I fully recognize my mamas or parents who are listening to this are probably doing the dishes and don't remember all the things, but they do remember homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews where they can learn more about my guests because that just makes it super simple for you. But um, thank you so much for being my guest and just bringing this conversation and helping parents just think about Let's make a point to get outdoors and integrate outdoor things to the best of our ability and maybe sometimes ways to bring the outdoors in and how that can help their children and themselves improve their mental health. And when you're getting outside your physical health too. 
So, you know, because you're, whether it's a walk or a hike or a bicycle ride, it doesn't matter if you're getting outside, you're moving. So that's a good thing. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks so much, Sandy. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.